All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is a place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. You know what time it is. This is the Sunday special, so it's time to get into this sports wrap-up, of course. I'll be talking about the MLB tonight, going over today's scores, going over the standings, going over some news as well. I'm going to start off everything with my college football preview part three, though, and I'm also going to be wrapping everything up with some NFL Hall of Fame talk. So let's get right into it. Of course, I got some, like I said, I got this college football preview here. This is my part three. Today, of course, we'll be going over the top 25. We will be wrapping the top 25 up as well as going over some more of the top 25 uh, classes and schools in terms of recruiting, as well as two conference previews tonight. We'll be going over the Big Ten as well as the SEC. I will be going through all the Power Five conferences as well as the mid-major conferences as well. Um, and by mid-major, I mean the Mountain West, the American Conference, Conference USA, so on and so forth. So we got a lot to get through, but don't worry, your man is on it. So let's get right into it. Of course, I got some NFL previews uh, ready for y'all. Well, getting, I'm getting those ready for y'all. Tonight, though, I'll be just talking about the Hall of Fame inductions today, or actually over the weekend. So let's get right into it. Like I said, uh, let's get to it with the top 25. Like I said, today we'll be going over 19 to 25. So like I said, we're wrapping up the, uh, the college football top 25. So let's uh, go right into it at number 19 uh, we got uh, Miami now last year uh, Miami finished seven and six again this was below expectations this would uh, pretty much force or convince head coach Mark Rick uh, to retire now they started the season at number eight so that's that was really uh, probably why the writing was on the wall for him he just probably felt that he was being ineffective uh, but like I said, they started off the season at number eight, and they suffered a four-game loser streak in the middle of the season. So that pretty much eliminated all title hopes, or you know, even the chance at, at competing for the conference title. So again, I guess Mark uh, Mark Rick realized he was at the end of his road, and uh, maybe the program hadn't come along as far as he wanted to. Because as far as I know, uh, they hadn't really had any significant ball games, of course, and they hadn't uh, won the conference just yet. And I know that was going to be his uh, this was been as maybe his third year as the coach there so you know what i get it but they will be bringing back linebacker shaq quarterman and also michael pitney and uh, these two guys were important for that squad last year for Porterman, he was a 2018 all acc first team and he was uh, second on the team with 95 total tackles and he also had 14 tackles for loss uh so and also six sacks and for pitney he was also a 2018 all acc honorable mention so two top level guys he's also third on the team with tackles with 74 last season he also had three and a half sacks and an interception uh the uh, the new coach will be def- will, will, would have been the former defensive coordinator manny diaz and uh they will also bring in a new transfer from ohio state tate martell so uh it's interesting to see where this team might go of course you already have uh i'm already going to say it right now i have clemson winning the acc just outright right now because i feel like programs like miami of course i really wasn't expecting mark 
uh, Rick to really step away. Uh, but now that they've gone in a whole different direction, uh, they're going to go with Manny Diaz. Now, mind you, uh, because of the development of the, the linebackers here, Shaq Quarterman and also Michael Pickney, I can already kind of tell you I could I, this was already a defensive-oriented team, so the transition might not be as hard. But again, we're, we're going to a whole new system. At least the, the Miami Hurricanes are going to be going through a whole new uh, system of changes. And now Manny, Manny Diaz is a totally different, you know, element of a coach and of course the recruiting strategies are going to have to change uh, maybe even what they run defensively and of course offensively might even have to change so it'll be an interesting situ situation for Miami to see if they can compete next year this is probably maybe maybe even a seven win team possibly even a six win team just because again we're pro they're probably might even just take a step back uh on the high end though they can possibly win uh about eight wins florida state is having some down years of course they have some winnable games they'll be able to play syracuse and a lot of easy uh easy there's some easy wins out there in their schedule but i know they're not going to beat clemson uh anybody you know significant on that that schedule anybody ranked i don't see that they're on that level just yet uh but moving on at number 20 we have michigan state now the Spart the spartans will be bringing back nine starters on offense and also eight on defense uh in terms of that spartans defense they only allowed 17.2 uh, points per game last season that was good enough for eighth in the nation so i think that's a good positive step uh step in the right direction of course a positive step of course that offense definitely struggled they will be bringing back their quarterback brian lewerke though uh last year he had a 54 percent completion percentage with 2040 yards as well as eight touchdowns and also 11 interceptions so again he's coming back and he definitely has taken his lumps and has some more experience uh the, the question is how well did they recruit and what are they bringing in next year in terms of that offensive line and also in terms of running back and who's coming back in terms of maybe you know just starting uh starting caliber players already there so in terms of juniors your seniors who's there on that offensive line who's there in that running back position that's going to be a good question uh for them because they're not be they're gonna have to be a balanced offense this year because i don't think the worky is your prototypical quarterback that's going to get them 3,000 yards, maybe 30 touchdowns in a season and really drive the offense with his arm. I think it's going to have to be a very balanced offense for them to be successful. And of course, that defense is going to have to come come to play like they usually do annually. Uh, Michigan State usually ranks in the top of any defensive stat. Now, they will have to go on the road to face Ohio State and Michigan. So it's again, it's a very difficult road for them. They're going to have to play as, as best football as possible on the offensive side. I think they'll be I think they'll be wired up defensively. They like I said, they usually are in tune. It's going to be off offensively this year i don't think of course brian the work he didn't blow anybody away last year with his numbers but he does have experience uh he, and of course they recruited pretty well we'll talk about them in a little bit so you know look for them but i would say this is a maybe a, a nine win team on the high end of course 10 wins uh definitely a significant ball game uh I would say realistically, though, I would even say a seven-win team. I think they get a ball, uh, a ball game. I don't think they win that ball game. I don't think this team is deep enough offensively. Uh, let's move on to number 21. We have Nebraska here. Nebraska started off the year, uh, at least last season, four and two after going zero and six. They finished overall four and eight. So again, there is some positives there. Uh, there is a chance for them to 
but they, there's a chance for them to definitely turn things around. And they're bringing back their quarterback, Adrian Martinez. He had a 64, uh, complete, uh, 64% completion uh, percentage, excuse me, for 2,617 yards. He also threw for 17 touchdowns as well as eight interceptions. So again, he'll be coming back. He definitely has experience. And they have a, a relative easy schedule. Uh, they won't be playing uh, Michigan or Penn State this year. I think this team can win a win eight games why not get a significant ball win and move on to the future this is uh scott frost their new head coach well this will be their second uh year with scott frost so and he's a good offensive minded coach uh you can see that with adrian martinez he's also a balanced uh quarterback if i'm not mistaken somebody who can use his legs as well so they can definitely utilize that uh the question though is can they keep up in terms of recruiting uh again we'll be talking some more about some big 10 recruiting a little bit later in this uh, this episode, but again, uh, the question is, can they can they keep up in terms of offense with some of these Big Ten teams? I don't think with the powerhouses they really have enough. I think they could probably beat teams like Michigan State should they match up. Uh, of course, they're lucky for not having to draw Michigan. So I could say I could see why not eight wins, maybe nine. Uh, like I said, a significant ball win, but I don't think they're sniffing at a uh, at a conference title, not a Big Ten title this year. Uh, let's move on to number twenty-two. We have Stanford. Stanford is bringing back their quarterback, KJ Costello. He's a second team all Pac 12, so that is definitely a step in a positive direction for them. They're also bringing back their defensive back, their starting defensive back, Paulson Adebo. Uh, but they did lose their uh, one of their top wide receivers, JJ Arcego, uh, to the NFL draft. But and also, here's a, here's a negative stat for them as well. Uh, the Stanford defense ranked, well, actually, no, their offense ranked 122nd at rushing last season. And they finished with just 3.65, uh, well, 3 points, well, let's just say 4 yards uh, per attempt. That's not necessarily effective. You really want to be getting 5 I would say even six yards a carrier. It might seem outrageous, but again, you gotta be moving those chains and those chains in college football because again, you'll be playing teams like Oregon who who will be able to. If they're you know if those teams come in there you know very healthy you know playing up to their standard. The teams like Oregon could easily hang 40 points on them, 45 points on them. Uh, the USC's uh, could put up 45 points on them. You know somebody like Washington can put tremendous amounts of points on them so if they can't be consistent on offense or balanced on offense i don't think this team can really get to seven wins i think they're a dark horse though again if they can stay healthy and somehow improve that running game uh, they lost a couple pieces in terms of the of their wide receivers and again that rushing game left a lot to be desired and there's not too much to, to say that they there's not too much that proves or shows that they've done a lot to improve that in, in terms of the rushing so again i think stanford takes a step back a little bit but they are a dark horse so don't you know completely uh turn your back on them they have they play very close games in the pac 12 north at least uh moving on to number 23 i got iowa state we got iowa state here they finished last season eight and five and they will be bringing back 14 stars including their quarterback brock purdy now brock purdy is a uh, all-american i believe and also uh, all big 12 we talked about him a couple nights ago and but they did lose their top running back david 
David Montgomery and also they were uh, top wide receiver Hakeem Butler and combined they and combined they both had 2,691 yards and they uh, got 22 touchdowns together so that's a lot of offense a lot of a significant amount of offense especially for a quarterback uh, that's coming back that needs those type of tools in order to you know to expand his game and of course uh, become better himself so that's going to be hard for Brock Purdy I think the uh, Big 12 took a step up, at least in terms of, of course, Oklahoma stayed pretty good. Uh, they're going to be good, you know, regardless for the most part. And in Texas, they've also taken a step up. So, again, I think Iowa State can definitely has a chance. Uh, they, they do return eight starters on defense. And, again, games at, at, at Iowa State, when teams come to play at Iowa State, something happens. And every now and again, they get a couple upsets. So, again, you can't count them out necessarily. I think they have some. I think they have a, 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 a basically. I would say the same season uh, that they had last year. I don't. I don't see why they couldn't go eight and five again. Go back to back and and, and I'm not saying they challenge for the Big Twelve title. I think they beat one of those t- one of those top teams just like they normally do, and they set themselves up for a, a possible run. I would say next year because they recruited kind of well on top of that so let's move on to number 24 we have Missouri here they did lose their starting quarterback last year Drew Locke to the NFL of course he's playing with the Broncos now Uh, but they did bring in uh, a transfer Kelly Bryant excuse me and of course we know about Kelly Bryant he used to play at Clemson and he led them to a national uh, championship at least they uh, well he led them to the national championship in 2017 they didn't win uh, but they did go he was able to lead them in 2017 so they're bringing back a veteran quarterback who does have some significant experience. He's seasoned, uh, but they will be facing a uh, they might be facing a year ball ban because of academic infractions. So it might all be for not unfortunate for them. And you know what? The SEC is just a monster. Anyways, I really don't see this team getting six wins. Uh, they can push the seven win mark. But again, I don't see it in this this uh, SEC East when you got Florida on the rise again. Georgia is definitely becoming the powerhouse. You even got uh, Kentucky making significant strides. So again, it'll be very hard uh, for a team like Missouri to keep up right now. It's kind of unfortunate that they might even be facing a postseason ban. But um, let's move on to the to final team here. We have Washington. This team surprises me here to, ha- to have them here. Um, because again, they finished the season with 11 wins. And I think, to be in my opinion, I think they're significantly better than a lot of teams that are ranked before them. But again, let's just get right into it. Now, Washington State has averaged nine wins or more with Mike Leach in the past four seasons. Last year was, pro- I think, their best record since 2003 with 11 and two. They are bringing back their quarterback. Well, actually, they're bringing in a new quarterback, Gage Gerbrud. He is a he's a grad transfer student from Eastern Washington, so they're getting some homegrown talent here. They're also bringing back uh, uh, their running back, well, their sophomore running back, Max Borgie, who had 360, uh, 366 rushing, rushing yards last year. He also had eight touchdowns on the ground, and he also had uh, 53 catches for 374 yards uh, for four touchdowns. So we're talking a dual threat running back, which is really good for them. Uh, we, they're also, they will be playing a really important game in the beginning of the season. I think it's a sleeper game. They'll be playing 
at Houston. Houston is very good on offense. Houston has some defensive talent as well. They've had some coach, good coaching there in the past few years, and I would say that's an upset alert game. They also will be playing, of course, Utah. Utah's a solid team on the rise again, and Oregon, of course, is a rival. Oregon will be looking to get a win against them, and they will be playing their their real their their state rivals, Washington State, on the road. So this is going to be an interesting straight stretch for Washington uh, for Washington State. Uh, believe that Oregon can kind of knock them off at this point. I think Utah is going to run for their money. That Washington game, though, I think Washington is taking a step back. Believe it or not, in my opinion, I still think that game is 50-50. I'm going to go with Oregon. I'm still riding with Oregon as my favorite for the Pac-12 uh, Pac-12 North. I think Washington has a shot at that as well. But, man, I mean, if any team could steal it, like I said, a real true sleeper, it has to be our dark horse here. Like I said it before, Washington State, they're, they're really good. But the thing about it is Washington is their crux. Uh, the thing about it is uh, in the last six games versus the Huskies, they haven't scored 20 points or more in those games. This is And this is an offense, for, uh, particularly passing the ball, is going for 400 yards a game, 500 yards a game. They're amassing a, a large amounts of yardage. A lot amount, a lot of points, and again, they just can't get it done against against Washington. But if they're able to to go over the hump against Washington, we're talking about a team that can, I would say, not only win the Pac-12 in general, but they can also gain uh, gain a playoff spot. And why not give them a, a win? I'm not saying they win the national championship, but I think they win a first-round matchup in the playoffs. I think they're that good. Uh, a lot of these teams in the Pac-12 are that good, at least in the Pac-12, North Washington, Oregon, also Washington State. They don't get a lot of love because they'll lose a game or two that, that they shouldn't or whatever happens. And again, they end up in a position where the media and a lot of different, you know, experts or whoever they call themselves, they say, ah, oh, well, this team isn't good enough. But I think a lot of these teams, you know, even, you know, uh, if we're looking at different conferences, you know, Iowa State, uh, not necessarily Iowa State, but let's see if we go, let's see if we go up to least number 19 here. I think we're talking about Miami at one point Miami had that opportunity to knock off one of those top teams at some point uh Michigan State again they have a relative easy schedule they have an opportunity to find a way to the, to the championship if they if they don't lose and they have an opportunity to, to do that as well so again there's a lot of teams here that don't really get a whole lot of love again I say Stanford here is at number 24 and I was really critical of their running game but again they play Washington very close they play Oregon really close win or lose so again they have an opportunity so you know you can't really look down on these, a lot of these teams I know the media will uh, but I think Washington State if they can just get past Washington, if they can get past the Huskies, if they can upset Oregon, um, I think that's going to be a little bit of a, a tough stretch for them because I think Oregon is, is really firing. And again, Oregon could drop a game this year too because again, it's just how good these teams are. Any given Saturday, this is really why I like college football because rankings aside don't matter. We can talk about stats all day and for the most part, I feel like every college football game is 50-50. I can't say that I feel that way in any other sport. So, uh, 
let's get right into the recruiting. We're going to talk about a few more teams in terms of uh, recruiting in the top 25. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, at number nine, we have Florida. And this is no this is in no particular order, uh, of course. But let's get into number nine at Florida. Uh, now, Florida, uh, they brought in a few guys on defense. Uh, they bring back, they were well, bringing in a top 100. They bring in two, actually, two top 100 defensive backs, Chris Steele and also Kair Elam. Uh, they also will be bringing in pass rushers Mohamed Diabite uh, and also Tyron Hopper and on offense Florida brings in a brings in seven offensive linemen and also five receivers including uh, Keon uh, Zipperer they're also bringing in a quarterback uh, Jason Jones uh, Florida I think was very balanced this year gotten a lot of different uh, got, well they fired on all cylinders they got two top 100 people for their secondary top 100 players for their second secondary they also addressed their pass rush and of course they got quarterbacks and receivers they definitely made sure all those guys were protected at least the offensive guys were protected with a solid old line <clears throat> So for Florida, I think, again, this is a team that's building. This is a team that the media, again, this is another one of those teams that the media, again, are going to put down at one point, not really talk about for a while. But again, I think they're building. And I think when you get to 2020, 2021, they're talking about a team that's, again, in the title mix. I definitely like what they did this year. And I definitely like what they're going to be bringing in next year as well. So it's going to be another, it looks like another top 10 or at least top 15 class. But coming in at number three, we have Texas. Texas brought in five-star athlete uh, Bruce McCoy. Out of Ashley Brew McCoy out of California, uh, who will play linebacker, outside linebacker for that matter. They also bring uh, Jay Jordan Whittington, uh, and uh, I think believe he's a, a wide receiver. The, the, and the Longhorns will also bring in National Player of the Year wide receiver Jay Smith. So again, Texas is recruiting basically like a Big Ten school, I mean Big Twelve school. Wide receivers galore. Uh, they got some linebackers, of course, but definitely athletes. Wide receivers. They got the top wide receiver, actually the top player in the country, uh, but he is a wide receiver. So again, they're looking to ex uh, to extend their outside dominance. They're looking to basically kill teams in terms of passing the ball looks like this year they're really looking to set uh they're really looking good in setting sam ellinger up and his and his future up his future backup up uh for some success because they're like again they're giving them tools they're giving the people to throw the ball to and that's really important uh let's talk about the number 14 team we have ohio state now ohio uh, ohio state did bring in three five-star recruits including defensive end zach harrison wide receiver garrett wilson who's the number two receiver in the nation. And they also brought in uh, offensive lineman Harry Miller. We'll also be breaking them down, down a little bit later in the conference preview. So uh, hold off on them. We'll be right back to them in just a little bit. Um, but they had a really good uh, class as well. They did not bring in uh, the... the, the the, the, the huge number of players uh, that are usually used to bringing in, but they definitely hit hard in Ohio, the home state, of course, and they definitely hit hard in terms of getting in top talent. A lot of the players that they uh, were able to recruit were at the top, very top of their position, uh, very top in the nation in some cases, and uh, or at the very and or at the very top of their state in terms of their talent level. Uh, and let's move on to the final school we're going to talk about here for tonight. 
Memphis moved on to the number 22 class, Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss brought in 17 state recruits, including five-star running back Jerion Ely. They also brought in wide receiver Dennis Jackson and Jonathan Mingo, both four-star recruits. And on defense, Ole Miss brings in linebacker Lakia Hendry, a four-star junior college transfer, and also defensive end Sam Williams, another four-star junior college transfer, also a.k.a. Juco. That's a that's an abbreviation, so I might say that for now, every now and again. Juco, junior college, same thing. Uh, but again, I think Ole Miss recruited very well, too. They recruited great guys out of high school, four-star recruits in their state, five-star recruits in their state. That they're kind of hard to find, and for them to pick them up and not a school like Alabama or Georgia, that's a good look on them. They also recruited well at junior at the junior college level. And this is already a talent that's ready to play. They both, they might even have some, uh, some, I would say, D1 experience or FBS experience in some cases. So you bring these guys in and they're almost ready to go to get four, two four-star guys on that level. I think it's tremendous for them. The, the Rebels also brought in quarterback Grant Tisdale, a four-star recruit out of Texas. So again, you see balance here. They attacked all levels of play. They got the linebackers. They got the defensive ends. They also got um, wide receivers on the outside, running backs, and also they got a quarterback. So what can you really complain about? So I thought they really did good. So I'm going to take a quick break, y'all. And when I come back, we're going to be going over these conference previews. Of course, we're going to be going over the Big Ten, like I said, and also the SEC as well. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. All right, y'all, I am back, and I'm going to get through some conference previews real quick, starting off with the Big Ten, and let's talk about how everything finished last season. Now, last season, Ohio State would end up winning the conference, beating out Northwestern in the conference championship game, and they would also finish uh, the season eight, well, at least finish conference play with a record of eight and one, and the only team that would beat them at all that year or well, last season would be Maryland. Uh, Ohio State would finish 13-1 overall. Now the Big Ten is separated into two divisions, the East and the West, so I'm just going to break both of those divisions down real quick. In the East, Michigan will come in uh, at second place with eight and one with an 8-1 conference record. That one loss coming to the Ohio State and they will finish 10-3 overall. At number three, we have Penn State who finished 6-3 in conference play and 9-4 overall. Coming in at, at the fourth place spot was the only team to beat Ohio State last year. The Maryland, the Maryland Terrapins, who finished three and six in conference play and also seven and six overall. We also got Indiana here finishing at two and seven in conference play, five and seven overall. And at the bottom we have Rutgers, who finished zero and nine in conference play and two and eleven overall. In the Western Division, we had Northwestern, of course, on top. They finished eight and one in conference play, but nine and five overall uh sorry uh we got wisconsin here who finished five and five i'm sorry five and four in conference play as well as purdue and iowa and uh wisconsin would finish up eight and five overall Iowa will finish nine and four but purdue would go on and finish six and seven overall at the fifth place spot in the west we had nebraska who finished three and six in conference play and four and eight overall and at the bottom we had illinois who finished two and seven in conference play and four and eight overall 
Now let's get to some of the key ball games here. We're gonna start off with a quick lane ball. Minnesota was able to get the win here against Georgia Tech. 34 to 10 was the final score. In the holiday ball, Northwestern was able to do its job and represent the Big Ten, getting the win against Utah, 31 to 20. And finally, we do have a significant loss here. Michigan taking an ass whooping to Florida, 41 to 15 in the Peach Bowl. That was the final score there. But overall, the Big Ten will finish five and four in the uh, in the in the ball games. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State would, uh, would end up winning the Rose Bowl against Ohio. I'm sorry, against Washington. Uh, however, there was another ugly loss for them as well. Michigan State uh, was not able to beat Oregon. They lost that Red Box Ball seven to six. So there were some good wins. There were some ugly losses as well. But let's move on to this year into 2019. We're going to start off with the All Conference team. Let's start off with the first team offense, headlined by quarterback Shea Patterson out of Michigan, who finished last year with a 69% completion percentage with 2,400 yards. Also threw for two, 22 touchdowns and seven interceptions. We also got running back J.K. Dobbins at a, uh, Ohio State. We got Rob receiver Tyler Johnson at a Minnesota who finished the year with 1,238 receiving yards as well as tw uh, 12 touchdowns. Uh, we also have another running back here, Jonathan Taylor, definitely a Heisman candidate out of Wisconsin. He finished the year with 2,194 yards and also 16 touchdowns. Uh, back to receiver, we have Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan. Michigan. We got tight end Pat Fairmuth out of Penn State. We got center Tyler Biedas out of Wisconsin. And we have some offensive linemen, linemen here as well. Ben Bredesen out of Michigan. Alec Jackson out of Iowa. We also got Thayer Munford out of Ohio State. And, at the, and finally, out of Ohio State as well, Cole Van Lannon. And let's go on to the first team defense. We're going to have defensive lineman A.J. Espinenza, uh, defensive end, like I said, defensive lineman out of Iowa who uh, finished on top of the conference in sacks with 10 and a half. You also got uh, another defensive lineman here, your tier gross models out of Michigan State. Two more defensive linemen, Chase Young out of Ohio State who finished second in the conference in sacks at nine and a half. And we also got Kenny Wilkes out of Michigan State. At the linebacker position, you have Joe Batchy, another uh, Michigan State Spartan. We got Marcus Bailey out of Purdue. And we got Patty Fisher, who finished top near the top of the conference in terms of tackles at 117. And we got some defensive backs here, LaVert Hill out of Michigan. We also got Josiah Scott out of Michigan State. And uh, let's move on to the second team offense. We have quarterback Justin Fields out of Ohio State. We also got tight end Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue. And finally, offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs. And that's just some of the, the more notable names from that second team. And uh, some of the more, uh, some, some other more notable names for that second team defense. We got defensive lineman Carter Coughlin out of Minnesota. We got, and we also got Muhammad Perry out of Nebraska. On the special teams first team, we have Matt Coughlin out of Michigan State. We also got kick returner Amir Smith Marset out of Iowa. We got punter Drew Christian out of Ohio State. And finally, at punt returner, we have Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan. On the second team, we got kicker Logan Justice, kick returner KJ Hamler, and at punter, Will Hart. 
now let's move on to recruiting and we'll be talking about some of the best teams that well, we talk about the best teams uh, in the conference we're gonna start at the bottom here at number 14 we have a records who brought in 20 total commits uh, 23 star recruits to be exact including running back Aaron Young who was the 11th rated uh, third third star running back in the nation. They also brought in safety Donald Williams, the 19th rated, uh, 19th overall recruit out of New Jersey. At number 19, uh, we have Illinois, who brought in 15 total recruits, uh, three four-star recruits, and 12 three-star recruits, including wide receiver Marquez Beeson, who's the fifth-rated wide receiver in the nation. We also got athlete Isaiah Williams, uh, who is the second, who's the second um, prospect out of coming out of Maryland. And we also got third three-star defensive end Keith Randolph. Let's move on to Northwestern, who brought in 19 commence, uh, 19 three-star recruits, including off outside linebacker Michael Jancy, who was the 10th uh, top prospect in all of Illinois, and they also brought in cornerback Broderick Hurd. At the number 11 spot, we got Maryland, who brought in four three-star recruits and 15 three-star recruits, uh, bringing their total to 18 total commits, including safety Nick Gross, uh, who was the number four safety in the nation and also the top four-star recruit in Maryland. They also brought in receiver uh, Isaiah Hazel, who was the fifth-rated recruit in Maryland, and also they brought in a third-star a three-star cornerback, Deontay Banks, who's the 13th, who's the 13th uh, best prospect in all of Maryland. Let's move on to number 10. We got Minnesota, who brought in 20 total recruits, uh, actually 20 uh, four, uh, three-star recruits and 21, 20, uh, 21 total commits, uh, including quarterback Jacob Clark. He's a 16th uh, three, 16th rated three-star QB, and he, they also brought in defensive tackle Rashad Cheney. At number t- at number nine, we have Iowa, who brought in 22 total commits, three four-stars, and also 19 three-star recruits, including offensive. Uh, uh, sorry, not offensive, but outside linebacker Justin Jacobs, who is the 16th rated outside linebacker and the sixth top prospect in Ohio. They also brought in off. Offensive tackle Ezra Miller, who was the second rated prospect in Iowa, and also tight end Orion Lee, who was the 21st rated third star tight end. And let's move on to uh, the number eight squad. We got Indiana here, who brought in 22 commits, uh, three four star recruits, 18 three star recruits, including running back Samson James, who was the third rated, uh, who's third rated prospect coming out of Indiana, and the 10th best running back. Uh, at least the t- uh, sorry the 10th best four star uh, running back in the nation and we also got number seven Michigan State who brought in 19 recruits including two four star and also 17 three star commits uh, we got uh, including uh, cornerback Julian Barnett, who is the eighth rated four star cornerback uh, in the nation. We also got offensive guard Devontae Dobbs, who is the first rated offensive guard in the nation and the second in the state of Michigan. At number six, we have Wisconsin, who brought in one five star recruit. They also brought in two four star recruits and also 16 three star recruits, bringing their total to 19 recruits, including offensive tackle Logan Brown 
Brown, who was the 17th overall prospect in the nation, and he was the number one rated prospect in Wisconsin. They also brought an out, outside linebacker, Spencer Little, who was a 20th rated three-star linebacker. They also brought in corner, uh, sorry, quarterback Graham Mertz, who was the third rated pro-style quarterback and the 65th overall prospect in the nation. The first, uh, the, fir- the first overall prospect in the state of Kansas, and they also brought an offensive tackle, Joe Titman, who finished tw- he's, who was the 26th rated offensive lineman, offensive tackle in the nation. At number five, we have Purdue, who brought in a record for their program, 26 recruits, including four four-star recruits and 22 three-star recruits, uh, like offensive tackle Spencer Hostage and also safety Mervyn Grant, who is the eighth-rated prospect in Michigan. And moving on to number four, we have Nebraska here, who was able to bring in 28 recruits, including seven four-star and also 21 three-star recruits, including inside linebacker Nick Heinrich. Who was the eighth rated linebacker in the nation and also the first overall prospect in Nebraska? They also brought in cornerback Nola Pola, uh, Nola Pola Gates, and also defensive. Uh, defensive end Ty Robinson, who's a 12th rated defensive end in the nation. And number three, we have Ohio State. They brought in 17 total commits, three five star guys, nine four star, and also five three star guys as well. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, five three star guys as well, including defensive end Zach Harrison. We talked about him before. He was a 12th recruit, is the 12th overall recruit in the nation, second rated defensive end. They also brought in linebacker Tommy Eichenberg, the eighth rated pro. The eighth rated prospect out of Ohio. At number two, we have Penn State, who brought in 23 recruits uh, overall. They have uh, one five-star recruit, 17 four-star recruits, also five three-star recruits as well. Uh, and this includes defensive end Adisa Isaac, who's the fourth rated def- uh, defensive end in the nation, and also the first overall recruit in the state of New York. And also wide receiver Johnny uh, Dumore, who's the 20th rated four-star receiver in the nation and finally we got Michigan who will finish with 26 commits uh, coming in this, this year uh, they got 20 uh, we got sorry they got two five-star recruits they have 14 four-star recruits as well as 10 three-star recruits they got uh, they were bringing in they're bringing in offensive tackle uh, Trevi uh, sorry Trente Jones who was the 11th who's the 11th rated tackle in the nation and the number 12th prospect in Georgia they're also bringing in quarterback Cade McNair, who's the seventh rated quarterback and also the first rated in New York as the first overall prospect in uh, New sorry, is that New York as well. And they're also bringing in another cornerback, Jalen Perry. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about some important games here, some important dates here. Let's go to uh, September. Starting in September, one of the the premier conference games. Uh, we're going to have Michigan going on to well traveling to Wisconsin to take on the Badgers. That's going to be a good test to see some big, well, just to see just how good Michigan is as well as Wisconsin is early in the season. That's a good early conference matchup uh, we don't get we don't get anything that good early for the Big Ten uh, we got the next key significant game we got October the 5th with Iowa traveling to Michigan uh, Michigan is probably in a driver's spot to win this conference Iowa is looking for an upset uh, Iowa is in upset position they kind of been in that way for the last year or so so it'll be good to see if they can get a win on the world 
I don't think it can happen, but I still think it's going to be a good game. Uh, let's move on to October the 26th. We got Notre Dame coming to Michigan. Again, another possible upset for Michigan. Michigan is going to be the definite favorite, uh, I think, significantly. But, again, Notre Dame, it's just Notre Dame. I don't think it's a slouch. I don't think they're going to be a slouch. They're going to come in there and play some good football. Uh, the next key significant game here is Michigan State and Michigan. The home team uh, seems to lose this game, and it goes back and forth. This is a really good rivalry as well. Uh, Michigan State has been able to do it with a less talented team. They're going to be coming in with a less talented team again this year. Again, they have to travel to Michigan where they've won before. Uh, so, again, it's up. this game is really up in the air. I don't really have a winner for this game right now. I would have to see this game. And uh, let's move on to November 30th, Ohio State and Michigan. I think this game here is going to probably determine who is going to win the Big Ten. That's all I got to say. In terms of my predictions, I got Michigan coming out on top. I uh, just see that Ohio State is going to take a step down this year for whatever reason, maybe bringing in a new coach. They lost a few key players to the NFL draft. I just think Michigan has, I don't know. We'll just have, I, and again, I'm not 100% sure on Michigan. I'll scout Ohio State up here as well as a favorite. I think Ohio State has been winning it for the past few years. And so just by virtue of that and looking so dominant doing it in my opinion and just shutting out Michigan for the past four years, I don't know. I mean, of course, Michigan is going to, in my opinion, Michigan is not the win for me to change my mind. As far as the dark horse is concerned, I got Iowa and Penn State, both two teams who can beat Michigan and or Ohio State, uh, both teams that can, that can win uh, the division. And moving on to some sleepers here, I got Wisconsin, Michigan, and Nebraska. Uh, I think Nebraska is really just kind of improving. I don't think they, you know, go too far this year. But again, they might knock off a couple teams that they're not supposed to. Uh, same thing with Michigan State. I think they're in a in a process of kind of developing the the team that they wanted, you know, to take to beat Ohio State or you know, possibly make a playoff run. I think they're possibly a year away themselves. And Wisconsin, I think they have as they're as good as they're ever gonna get. I just think they're in a position where Ohio State and Michigan are just that much better. That's just the way it is. All right, y'all, I'm going to take another quick break. And when I get back, I will be going over the SEC. I still got to go over the MLB as well. And I'll be going over some NFL, just a quick NFL news as well. So I still got a bit more to go. And I'll be right back. I am. So let's preview the SEC and let's start off with what happened last season. Of course, Bama will want to conference. They will uh, beat out Georgia in the SEC title game. They will finish conference game with an 8-0 record. They will also go on to finish 14 overall. The only loss coming in a national championship game versus Clemson. The SEC is split up into two divisions as well. So I'm going to be breaking down the East real quick. And in the East, of course, Georgia was able to finish on top. Their only conference loss, of course, coming in the conference uh, the conference championship game versus Bama. They will go on to finish 7 one in the 
conference in 11 and 3 overall. They also lost a big time ball game against Texas in the Sugar Bowl. Kentucky will go on to finish 5 and 3 in conference play, and they will finish 10 and 3 overall. We also got Florida finishing pretty pretty well as uh, pretty well 5 and 3 overall. Also t- uh, 5 and 3 in conference play. Also 10 and 3. up next we have Missouri who finished 4 and 4 in conference play and 8 and 5 overall. We also got South Carolina who will go on to finish 4 and 4 as well and 7 and 6 overall. At the bottom we have Vanderbilt and also Tennessee. Vanderbilt will finish 3 and 5 in conference play, five, uh, 6 and 7 overall. Uh, Tennessee more or less the same, at least by a win less, by, uh, by one less win, 2 and 6 in conference play. Five and seven overall. Off to the Western Division, of course, Alabama was able to win that. Uh, we already talked about them. In the second place spot, we have Texas A&M, who finished five and three in conference play. They will go on to finish nine and four overall. We also got LSU, who finished five and three in conference play, and will go on to finish ten and three overall, winning uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. We got uh, Mississippi State, who finished four and four and eight and five overall. We got Auburn here, who finished three and five in conference play and 8-5 uh, and five overall. And then finally at the bottom, we have Ole Miss who will go on to finish 1-7 in conference play and then 5-7 overall. And uh, we have Arkansas here who finished dead last at 0-8 in conference play and 2-10 and overall. Some key uh, ball games for the SEC. For one, we have the Citrus Ball for Kentucky getting a uh, getting a ball win for the a major ball win for the first time at least in a, at least in a decade or so. Uh, Kentucky was able to win the Citrus Ball 27 to 24 against Penn State in the Fiesta Ball course. We talked about this one before. LSU was able to get that win against Central Florida, 40 to 32. But one of the one of the significant losses would be the national championship course. Clemson getting that lacking on Bama, 44 to 16 was the final score there. But the SEC outside of that performed very well in their ball game, scoring six and four, and I believe that's one of the best records uh, was one of the best records in college football at least during the ball the ball season period now if we go on to the uh, we go on move on to this year we're going to start off with the SEC all team let's start off with the first team up uh, up at quarterback course we have two attack of Aloha. no real surprise here out of Bama he uh, completed 60 69% of his passes last year for 3,966 yards he also threw for 43 touchdowns and just six interceptions up next, we have eight running back Anaiji Harris, who ran for 783 yards and also four touchdowns. We also got another another running back, this time out of Georgia, DeAndre Smith. Uh, we have another teammate for Tua Tagovailoa. This is Jerry Judy, uh, a wide receiver, of course, out of Bama. And then we also have uh Kali, uh, Kali Jin Lipskin, a wide receiver at Vanderbilt, who last year uh, caught well caught passes for 916 yards. He also caught nine touchdown passes. And at touch uh, at a tight end, we have Albert uh, Akwu. Aku Bunari, if I mispronounced that, sorry, uh, but he's coming out of Missouri. And then at the center spot, we have Drake Jackson out of Kentucky. We have some offensive linemen here as well. Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, Trevor Wallace, uh, Trevor Wallace Sims out of Missouri, and also Prince Tenga Bagahoa out of Auburn. And finally, we have uh, Judrick Ellis. And I believe he's out of Georgia. And let's move on to the uh, first team defense where we have uh, defensive lineman Derek Brown out of Auburn. 
48 tackles, 10 and a half sacks. I'm uh, sorry, 10 and a half of those were for loss, and he also had four sacks as well. We got some more defensive linemen here. Raekwon Davis out of Bama. We also got a uh, defensive lineman here, Jabari Zuniga out of Florida. And finally, Justin uh, Madbuki out of uh, Texas A&M. On the linebacker side, we have Dylan Moses again out of Bama. We have a uh, uh, Kale Garrett out of Missouri who led the SEC or was near the top in the SEC in terms of tackles with 106 total tackles. We also got uh, Errol Thompson out of Mississippi State and in terms of the defensive backs we got uh, Christian Fulton out of LSU. We also got C.J. Henderson out of Florida who had 38 tackles last year and also two interceptions as well. We also got two safeties here. Grant Delpit out of LSU and also J.R. Reed out of Georgia. For the special teams, we got Rodrigo Blakenship out of Georgia, who completed 82% of his field goals last year, 100% of his extra point attempts, and also scored 122 points overall. We also got punter Brandon uh, Men out of Texas A&M. Uh, we got kick returner Davion Warren out of Arkansas. And finally, at the punt routine, uh, as a punt returner, excuse me, we have Jalen Waddle out of Bama. Let's move on to the second team real quick. We got Jake from Georgia. Up next, we have wide receiver Jalen Waddle uh, with 45 catches, 848 yards, and also seven touchdowns. And finally, we have offensive lineman Logan Stenberg out of Kentucky. Uh, we're not going to go through all the second team, of course, just some of the more notable names. Uh, on the second team defense, we have Dejon Harris out of Arkansas. We also got safety Xavier McKinney, another Alabama prospect. Uh, he had 74 total tackles last year, and he had two interceptions as well. Uh, we also got cornerback Sertain coming out of Alabama as well. If that name rings a bell to you, yes, his father played in the NFL as well. He was a good damn cornerback, so his son is looking to already be the same, following the footsteps, becoming an all-conference cornerback, just like his father probably was, too. I'm not too sure about his father's college career, but I know Patrick Sertain and the pros are pretty damn good. But let's move on to the second team, special teams. We have the kicker, uh, Connor Limpert out of, uh, out of Arkansas, excuse me, and we have uh, kick returner Deshaun Corbin out of Texas A&M, who had 14 returns last year for 442 yards, and he also ran for a touchdown as well. Now let's move on to the recruiting rankings. Uh, we're gonna stop from the we're gonna go from the bottom to the top. So let's start uh, let's start at the very bottom, of course, with Vanderbilt, who brought in 20 recruits, uh, tw uh, 23 star recruits, excuse me, and 21 overall recruits, including safety uh, Anthony Orgy, uh, and we they also brought in cornerback Dante Carrier Williams from Missouri. They brought in 22 commits, uh, three four star guys, and also 19 three star recruits, including safety. Jelani Williams, who was the fifth-rated recruit in Missouri, and also offensive guard Jack Buford. Kentucky will bring in 20, 22 commits as well, three four-star recruits, and also uh, 19 three-star recruits, uh, including defensive end J.J. Weaver and also cornerback M.J. Devonshire. For Mississippi State, they will also bring in uh, 22 recruits, uh, five four-star, actually, I'm sorry, uh, five, yeah, five four-star recruits and 16 three-star recruits, including five-star offensive tackle Charles Cross who was the fifth rated offensive tackle in the nation and also defensive tackle Nathan Pickering who was a sixth rated off the 
the sixth rated defensive tackle in the nation, excuse me. For Arkansas, they will bring in 25 guys, 11 four-star recruits, and also 14 three-star guys, including the uh, tight end Hudson, uh, Hudson Henry, excuse me, who was the fourth rated tight end, and also wide receiver Trey Knox. For Ole Miss, this was a good year for them. This was a pretty good year for them as well, recruiting. I kind of broke them down. Uh, they recruited very well within their state, getting a five-star running back, uh, but they were able to bring in 31 commits in total. Uh, they were able to bring in one five-star guy. We talked about him. Seven four-star recruits and also 23 uh, three-star guys. So again, they brought in a lot of, they got in a lot of uh, players this year for them, which is going to mean one thing, death over the years. So that's really good on there, but that was really smart. They were able to get some talent as well, uh, but they were able to bring in athlete Devontae Price and wide receiver Jaden Jason, who was a sixth rated prospect in the state of Arkansas. Uh, so let's move on to South Carolina. I uh, talked a little bit about them earlier. Uh, they brought in 23 overall commits though, with one five-star guy, four five-star, uh, four, uh, or four-star recruits and also 17 three-star recruits including tight end Travion Kenyon and also defensive end Rodriguez Fitton. Tennessee did, uh, I will say they did okay. Actually, they did pretty good for themselves. They brought in 23 commits, two five-star two five-star uh, recruits, also 11 four-star recruits, and also uh, we we have 10 three-star guys as well, including outside linebacker Henry Tuotoa, the third-rated linebacker in the nation, and the seventh top prospect in California. He's he's a De La Salle product out there in Concord, California, Northern California. That is a football factory. A lot of players get uh you know, some college work, even some pro work coming out of that school. So a lot of talent coming out of Northern California. I thought I'd just salute them real quick. They also brought an athlete, uh, they also brought in uh, athlete, excuse me, uh, Quavarius Crouch, who is a top-rated prospect in North Carolina. For Florida, they were bringing 25 guys, 17 four-star recruit, recruits also. They were also bringing eight three-star guys as well, including defensive end Colby Wooden, running back, and running back R, uh, running back DJ Williams, excuse me, who was the 21st-rated four-star running back in the nation. We got uh, LSU, who brought in 25 guys, three five-star recruits. 11 four-star recruits and also 10 three-star recruits including offensive guard uh, Cardell Thomas the fourth rated offensive guard and also defensive tackle C.P. Ika. Moving on to the third place spot we have Texas A&M who brought in 27 dudes to uh, two five-star studs a couple uh, we had actually a lot of 14 uh, we actually have a lot of four-star guys 14 of them to be exact and we have 11 three-star recruits here including safety Damani Richardson who was the seventh rated uh, safety in the nation. They also brought in wide receiver Cam Brown. For Georgia, they were bringing 24 commits, five uh, five-star five recruits, 15 four-star recruits, and as well as four three-star recruits. So as you can tell, uh, George teams like Georgia, uh, even even some of the. the more, well, actually LSU, even Texas as well. They bring in a lot of five-star guys, a lot of four-star guys, double digits and four-star recruits. Uh, they bring in a couple five-star guys as well. These teams are just natural. These teams is always, in my opinion, from what I've seen on TV and everything like that, these teams have always been a national presence. That's just the thing about the SEC. They get so much plug and so much play. Everybody, especially in the South, just wants to play for them. That's just how it goes. Um, but anyways, uh, we we have Georgia 
they brought in wide receiver George Pickens, who was the fourth rated wide receiver in the nation and also the first rated prospect in Alabama. They also brought in uh, wide receiver Dominic Blaylock. And as for Bama, the number one team here, uh, we have uh, tw they brought in 27 guys, three five star commits. Uh, they also brought in 25, 25 four star recruits and also one three star guy. Uh, this all includes offensive tackle Amari Washington, uh, sorry, Amari Wright, who is of eighth rated offensive tackle in the nation. Now, uh, on to my pro my predictions for the conference right now. Uh, and I'm just going to break it down by 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 matchups, by divisional matchups. Uh, my favorite at the time, my two favorites are going to be Bama and Georgia. I think this team is just going to keep kind of hitting at a wall uh, because I think Kirby Smart, he, coming from Alabama, being a defensive coordinator there, he knows some some uh, some secrets about Alabama, and eventually I think he. If anybody's going to win at this point in time, I think it's going to be Georgia. They could possibly beat them next year. Uh, of course, Bama is going to, you know, definitely, in my opinion, it's a favorite to win the West. Uh, which brings me to my dark horses, my dark horse matchup for that matter. LSU and Florida. I think LSU has a squad that can knock off LSU this year. I mean, not LSU, but Bama this year. Uh, I also think uh, they can give Georgia a run for their money and beat out Georgia if they were to meet in the in the, in the conference championship game. Uh, but Florida, uh, don't sleep on Florida. I could see in a dark horse matchup, LSU and Florida facing each other in the conference championship game of course uh, georgia has to get through florida in order to get to that game in my opinion uh, florida will be their stiffest competition in coming out of the sec east but also you have uh, kentucky that's improved as well but again i think lsu and florida have favorable schedules and of course they're gonna have to go through these top teams in order to get to the top outside of those outside of those real crucial games again like again, like again lsu has to beat bama of course, Florida is going to have to beat Georgia. But outside of those games right there, those two guys' schedules, those two teams', teams schedules are kind of manageable. And I would not be surprised if those teams would be able to see each other in the conference championship game. And my sleeper pick, I have uh, Auburn and Kentucky. Auburn, again, is a team that can, you know, beat Alabama every other year. This is a team that can beat LSU uh, and I would I mean again outside of that I don't think Texas A&M is going to give them a run for their money anybody in the SEC West really some trouble this year I could be wrong but again I just don't see it this year so I have Auburn being a sleeper pick and I also have Kentucky being a sleeper pick coming out of the uh, SEC East again they have one of the top defenses in the nation last year I think one of the things that held them back was the fact that they weren't able to score a whole lot of points especially in big time games so it's going to be really important to see what they do against the Georgias. It's going to be important to see what they do against Florida because, again, they do play in the same division as those guys. And I just think Florida and Georgia are significantly better uh, overall. Despite Kentucky, I feel, having an all-par, a defense that's on par with those guys. I just think and if you talk about coaching overall and if you talk about offensive quarterback play, I definitely think Georgia has the edge against uh, the edge against Kentucky. And I think as far as Florida goes, they definitely, in my opinion, have a slight edge in terms of running back talent. And I didn't think they do have um, somewhat of a, a, a especially with 
the, the Kentucky Wildcats losing Josh Allen, I would say that Florida goes into the season with a significant better pass rush as well. So, again, can Kentucky compete in those games? Can Kentucky win those games? I have them as a sleeper pick because last year they were able to, they were able to look, they were able to perform quite well. I don't think they were able to beat both of those guys, Florida and Georgia. Uh, but again, I think they played Georgia pretty well. Uh, they might have been able to knock Florida. I'll have to look at that again. But definitely, I have Auburn and Kentucky as my super picks. Two teams who uh, can do, well, Auburn for one is very, it's pretty uh I would say pretty sophisticated on offense, especially for the SEC. And as for Kentucky, they bring a lot of stuff defensively that teams weren't necessarily ready for last year. And they do have a lot of talent there, especially in the linebacker spot. So, again, two teams here that are definite sleepers. All right, y'all, I'm going to take another quick break. And when I get back, we'll be breaking down the MLB. I got some news to discuss. And as well, I got I got some scores to go over and the standings as well. And then, like I said, we'll be wrapping everything up with the Hall of Fame inductions. All right, y'all, I will be right back all right y'all i am back and uh let's break down this mlb and let's wrap everything up for the week we got some news to start off with and it's coming from the big apple and they're facing some in both teams are facing some injury issues right now now Mets second base and Russell Cano will be out for some significant time uh, actually i believe it's uh no 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 real timetable on him yet but he will be having an mri tomorrow on monday and uh the Red, the mets have finally reached the 500 area for the first time in months so this is very significant for them uh you know Cano isn't one of their better hitters, but he is coming alive to some extent within the past couple of months. Uh, he is hitting a 252 average right now with 10 home runs and 32 RBIs. So, again, they weren't, I'm not going to say they were necessarily in the mix of a playoff race per se, but they definitely had gone at least eight, uh, they've won eight out of the last 10, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And they are at least, they are one game below 500. I could say that. So they were improving, and it just kind of sucks for them. Uh, but let's move on uh, to the New York Yankees. They have some significant problems as well. Uh, center fielder Aaron Hicks will be out for at least seven to ten days. He um, he strained his right hip. Uh, his he strained his right flexor. Now uh, Hicks has already missed forty games because of a lower back strain, uh, and also their left fielder Brett Gardner. I believe this is their third baseman Mike Tauschman, and also. Also, uh, their center fielder, Cameron Mabin, their backup center fielder, Cameron Mabin, if I'm not mistaken, are all going to be out with injuries, or they have been all out with injuries so far. And this includes their designated hitter slash first baseman, Edward Encarnacion, who also recently uh Sorry, he fractured his wrist. Uh, they'll also be ma uh, missing their second baseman, DJ LeMayhew, as well with a hernia. Uh, so far, 16 players are currently on the DL for the New York Yankees. And again, this is crazy because they're still on top of their division. So when these guys come back, if they're in any type of team, wow, this team really is good I, I it, it just i don't know how this team became so good um to this point where you have 16 players currently that's on the disabled list and you're still leading your division by at least eight games and the third place team is 14 games away that is crazy this new york yankees team 
uh, I would not sleep on them. But let's move on to the scores uh, over the day, and we'll start off with the Nat with actually some interleague play. The White Sox were able to get it done with the against the Phillies. Ten to five was the final score. We got the Blue Jays getting it done, and again, that really doesn't matter against the, the Orioles. That final score, I believe, was eleven two something like that. Uh, we also got the Marlins uh, beating the, the Rays, beating them. The final score and some more interleague action here for the Rays. They were led by their second baseman Mike Brosal who came off the bench but was still able to get three hits and two RBIs. And also first baseman Jesus Aguilar got two hits and two RBIs. Right fielder Avisel uh, Garcia was able to get two hits and two RBIs as well. And pitcher Yanni uh, Chirinos was able to get the win. Going for five innings, giving up just two hits in the earned run and had four strikeouts as well. For the Marlins, not too much of anything for them just two runs batted in so let's move on uh, we got some uh, AL action with the Angels getting it done against the Angels six to two we got the Raves taking a loss uh, this time to the Reds four to six was the final score the Mets put a beating on the Pirates 13 to two but of course they lost Robertson Cano that was the drawback uh, for the Mets their second baseman, Jeff McNeil, uh, had a pretty solid game. He had two hits and two RBIs. Also had a great defensive play as well. You should check that out. First baseman, Todd Frazier, had three hits and three RBIs. And third baseman, Jonathan Davis, also had two hits and three RBIs. As far as pitching goes, uh, the pitcher, Noah Syndergaard, went for seven innings, got the win. Three hits and only one on the run. He also had three strikeouts as well. The Mets just driving two runs, so... Again, let's move on. Uh, we got the Astros getting done against the Mariners, three to one. They are maintaining that stranglehold on the AL West. We also got the Twins getting done against the Angels, three to zip is the final score there. For the Twins, they were led by their left fielder Eddie Rosario, who had two hits and two RBIs. Their uh, catcher Jason Castro had an RBI as well, and pitcher Devin Smelser gets the win, going for six innings, giving up two hits. Uh, and he only had he gave up two hits, but had no earned runs. He also had four strikeouts as well. Uh, but for the Royals, only two hits as a team. And uh, their pitcher Brad Keller went for seven innings, gave up five hits, two earned runs, and seven Ks, having strikeouts. But that bullpen just you know again gave up some runs as well. So. It kind of sucks. He gave up two earned runs. The bullpen gave up another. Their offense couldn't get them any run support. It's a loss for the Royals, but hey, that's what they've been doing all season. Uh, for the Cubs, they were able. Well, my how my how how has a week. Well, how a week has changed this team. Uh, the Cubs they were barely able to beat the Brewers last week. This week they end up sweeping them seven to two was the final score there. Uh, we got the Tigers losing again this time to the Rangers nine to four. We got the Rockies getting it done against the Giants six to two. We also got the A's getting it done against the Cardinals 4-2 is the final score for the A's they were led by their catcher Dustin Garnell who had two hits and two RBI second baseman Jerks and Profar also uh, got an RBI as well and Tanner Rourke another piece the A's got up before the tread deadline uh, he did very well uh, he got the win going for five innings if I'm not mistaken maybe six uh, but he gave up four hits just one on the run. He had two walks, but six strikeouts. And for the Cardinals, uh, shortstop Paul DeJong and uh, second baseman Colton Warren both 
uh, batted in some runs as well. Uh, we also got the uh, the Padres uh, losing to the Dodgers 10 to 11. We got the Diamondbacks beating the Nationals 7 to 5, and finally the Yankees were able to beat their rival Red Sox 7 to 4. Let's move on to the standings, starting off in the AL East. And the Yankees, they're still on top, still the best team out there. I don't know how they're doing it with 16 players again on the disabled list. How does it work? Six and four in the last ten. We also got the Rays coming in the second place spot, sixty-five and forty-eight. They are eight games back, eight and two uh, in their last ten, and they have uh, actually uh, taken a well taken the second place wild card spot by a half game from the A's. Moving on to the third place spot, we have the Red Sox here. They are fifty-nine and fifty-five. They are fourteen and a half games back, two and eight in their last ten. I think you are going to be able to put a fork in them in a little while they're just about done in my opinion and at the bottom of course two teams that have been done since the beginning we had the blue jays here at 45 and 69 and the orioles here who are 38 and 73 trash uh let's move on to the al central where we have the twins here they are still on top they are looking to be the next team to hit 70 wins um the Yankees have again become the third team to hit seven. Uh, yeah, the third team to hit seventy wins right after uh, Houston. Uh, looks like the Twins are slowly be, or will become that team eventually, probably Monday. Uh, they are eight and two in their last ten. Uh, up next, we have the Indians at sixty-six and forty-five. Three games back in the division, but they are currently leading in the wild card race. So at that first wild card spot, and they are seven and three in the last ten. Up next, we have the Chicago White Sox, who are forty-eight and sixty-one. We have the Royals here, who are forty and seventy-three. And at the bottom, we have the Tigers, who are thirty-two and seventy-five. Out west, we have the Astros, who are still on top again. Uh, the second seventy-one team of the season. They are seventy-three and forty. We have they have a. a Record in the last ten of eight and two as well. Up next, we have the A's. Like I said, they are just a half game out of the second place wild card spot. They are currently six sixty four and forty eight, just eight games back in the division as well, and they are six and four in the last ten. In the third place spot, we have the Mariners at fifty seven and fifty four. We have the Angels at fifty six and fifty seven, and finally we have the Mariners at forty seven and sixty seven. Uh, up next in the NL East, we have the Braves who are on top. Uh, they They've stayed on top for the most part, stayed consistent. They are 66 and 47, and they're 6 and 4 in the last 10. We also have the Phillies here in the number two spot. They are 58 and 53. They are 5 and 5 in the last 10, and they are just seven games back, just like the Nationals, who are 58 and 53. Seven games back, of course, but they are they have gone three and seven in the last 10. Round out the bottom, we have the Mets, who are 55 and 56, so just one game below 500. They are 10 games back, but they've gone nine and one in the last 10. And excuse me, they've done pretty well for themselves, actually, not in one in the last 10, which makes the Robinson Cano injury kind of even more sucky for them. But at the bottom, we have the Marlins, who are 42 and 67. Going to the Central Division, we have the Cubs, who have made it to the top. They are 60 and 51, 6 and 4 in the last 10. Again, they looked really good this weekend against the Brewers. Last weekend, they looked like shit. Let's just be honest. At the second place spot, they, we have the Cardinals, who are 58 and 52. Just a 
just one and a half games back. Uh, they did not have a really good series against the Oakland A's. Uh, they are currently five and five in their last ten. We had the Brewers here, who are fifty-seven and fifty-six, who just got swept by the Cubs over the weekend. Uh, they are four and four in the last uh, four. Sorry, four and six in the last ten. And they are four games back. Up next, we have the Reds, who are seven and five, uh, seven and a half games back. Excuse me. They've gone six and four in the last ten, and they're currently fifty-two and fifty-eight. Again, I don't know how much ground they can cover. Uh, they lost. They lost a lot of people to suspension over the week. So again. We'll see how it goes. And at the bottom, of course, we have the Pirates who are 48 and 63. They lose the fights and they lose the games. And at the bottom, uh, we're going to finish everything up, at least in the MLB with the uh, the NL West, excuse me. At the top of the division, we have the Dodgers, of course, with the best record in baseball. 74 and 40 is their current record, and they are 73 in their last 10. Up next, we have the two, we have the second and the third place guys here. They are t- they are tied right now. Uh, the Diamondbacks and the Giants are both 56 and 56, which both which puts both of them 17 games back in the division. The Diamondbacks have gone five and five in the last 10. The Giants, uh, I believe, is about the same. And uh, we have the Rockies here. And the Padres here at the bottom, the Rockies are 52 and 60, and the Padres are 51 and 60. In terms of the NL wild card right now, it's a little bit too, it's a little bit hard for me to call right now. Uh, but I definitely see you have the Cardinals with a spot at this point in time. You also got the Phillies and the Nationals. They're neck and neck for that second place spot. Uh, also in the mix, you have the uh, the Brewers back behind a game. Uh, you also, if you want to count, uh, you can, you can even say that the, the Mets are kind of in the in the, the mix of, of course, well kind of sort of with a few games back. Uh, of course, the Brewers are in there as well, and still the Giants and the the Diamondbacks, despite being so far out of place. In the NL West race, they are still just a few games back in terms of a divisional. I mean, in terms of a wild card spot. Again, uh, the top uh, the top teams now in terms of that, I would say, are the the Cardinals and the Phillies. Of course, they both have 58 wins. The Diamondbacks and the Giants just have 56, so they're not too far off. Again, they're right there in the mix. It's a little bit closer uh, than the AL, in my opinion, in terms of the wild cards. A little bit shut and dry uh, in in the wild card in the AL because. Because again, you have the Indians who are more than likely going to get their spot. Uh, they might even challenge for their, you know, divisional crown, which will kind of mess things up there. But you pretty much know that they're a lock for that first place spot. That second place spot is either going to go to the Rays or the A's. Uh, as far as the NL goes, I don't even know who gets the first, the first play, the first wild card slot, or the second one for that matter. So the, both of those slots. are up and open in the NL. Uh, so for now, I'm going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll be wrapping everything up. All right, y'all, with some uh, Hall of Fame talk, at least in the NFL, Hall of Fame NFL talk. So I'll be right back. All right, y'all, I am back. I'm going to wrap this up for today, and I'm going to be talking about the NFL Hall of Fame that occurred over this weekend. Of course, it was in Canton, Ohio, and we're going to talk about all the new inductees, starting off with cornerback Champ Bailey, uh, who spent uh, who spent his NFL career in uh, Washington as well as in Denver with the Broncos, and he played from 1999 to 2013. He was a 12-time pro baller from 2000, and tw- uh, 2000 to th- 2007, and also from 
2009 to 2012. He is also a third, a three-time, excuse me, first-team All-Pro from 2004 to 2006, and he's also the interceptions leader in 2006. He's also a, a all. He's also a member of the All-Decade, uh, All-Decade team from the 2000s, and he ended his career with 908 tackles and also 52 interceptions. Up next, we have Pat Bowen, who was the owner of the Denver Broncos. Uh, he went to the AFC Championship uh, seven times, uh, getting that trophy for the Broncos seven times. He also was a three-time Super Bowl winner with the Broncos, and he sadly passed away June the 19th of this year. He was also responsible, I believe, for uh, basically the developer get, get, getting uh, guys like Rod Smith, Terrell Davis, also bringing in coaches like Mike Shanahan and everything like that, and setting up those those championship teams. I would really say he had a uh, he was definitely involved with the champ the two championship with teams with John Elway. Um, but I think by 2014, the all the all timers started setting in. I think he wasn't as much as a factor of the Peyton Manning teams as he was back in the 90s, but definitely he had some some sort of handprints on, on those teams as well. Let's move on to Gil Brandt. He is the Vice President of Player Personnel. Uh, he served this role for the Rams between 1955 and 1957, also with the 49ers between 1958 and 1959, but he had, uh, he had the majority of his success with the Cowboys between 1966 and also 19, uh, between 1966 in 1988. Uh, he won two Super Bowls with the Cowboys. Uh, it's uh, Super Bowl 6 and 13. He also brought them five NFC championships, th- uh, 13 divisional titles, and 20 straight winning seasons from 1966 to 1985. Uh, moving on, we got tight end Tony Gonzalez, uh, who spent uh, the majority of his playing time in Kansas City with the Chiefs, but also spent the latter part of his career with the Atlanta Falcons. And he played from 19, uh, 1997 excuse me, to 2000. 13. Now, we already know a whole lot about Tony Gonzalez. I know my football cats do, uh, but he was a 14-time pro baller, a six-time first-team all-pro. Uh, he would uh, finish his career with 11, uh, sorry, 111 touchdowns and also 15,127 yards on 1,325 catches. Um, he would finish uh, his career six all-time in receiving yards, also second overall in touchdowns and seventh in, uh, in touchdowns. And this is all receiving, of course. So definitely one of the best tight ends in uh, of all time. And he's only had two of his records beaten, his two of his NFL records beaten. I think that were that was by uh, Gronkowski as well. Uh, moving on, we got cornerback Ty Law, uh, who spent his time playing with a with a few different teams uh, from his from his career that st- that spanned from 1995 to 2009. Uh, he would end up playing with the uh, Patriots. Uh, winning some Super Bowls there. Uh, he played with the New York Jets twice and also the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, finishing finishing his career with the Denver Broncos. Like I said, he was a three-time three Super Bowl champ, uh, that being with the Pats. Uh, also, he's a five-time pro baller, or a two-time first-team All-Pro, and he was also the interceptions leader in the league for, t- uh, for two years, 1998 and also 2005. Uh, also, one of those guys uh, that stood out on those Patriot teams, I always remember him coming up with some type of clutch play or being involved with it, so I de- definitely a name that I remember from my era. Uh, moving on, we got center Kevin Malway. Uh, he spent his time playing with the Seattle Seahawks, the New York Jets, uh, where I... Uh, 
remember him the most and also he would finish uh, finish his career uh, with the Tennessee Titans his career over spanned from 1994 to 2009 uh, he would be the uh, one of the rookie well he would he would make the all rookie team in 1994 and he also played in 241 games starting in 238 of them and he would uh, play in eight pro balls and also he would be uh, become a seven uh, seven time first team all pro uh, moving on we got Ed Reed a safety who played the majority of his career with the Ravens he also spent time with the Texans and the Jets but he played from 2002 to 2013 we already know a whole lot about this guy I'm pretty sure my football fans do he's a Super Bowl champion in 2012 he also is a, he also is a nine-time pro baller and a five-time first team all pro uh, for the NFL he also was a de defensive player of the year in 2004 and he led the league in interceptions three different times 2004 2008 and also 2013 actually 2010 excuse me and he also has an NFL record or he's tied for NFL record in interceptions in the postseason with nine and last but not least we have another safety here uh, this is a callback to, to back in the day uh, made a lot of the modern fans may not know about this guy but on further uh, upon further review he was actually a very very good player but I'm talking about none other than Johnny Robinson a safety for the Dallas Texans who would eventually become the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL the Dallas Texans were there in a, their AFL franchise back in the 60s but he would end up playing from 1960 to 1971 for Robinson he will uh, become a Super Bowl IV champ he would also be uh, be elected to the Pro Bowl in 1970. And going back to that Pro Bowl, uh, that Super Bowl, excuse me, he played that game with broken ribs and he was still able to get nine tackles. He was also the interceptions leader in the NFL in 1970. Now let's go into his AFL stats because that's where he did his most damage. And uh, he will finish uh, He will finish as a three, well, before the AFL, AFL will fold, he was a three-time AFL champion in 1962, 66, and 69 with the Dallas Texans. He will go on to finish uh, as a um an AFL All-Star six times between 1963 and 1968, excuse me, and he also finished his, his AFL time as a five-time first-team All uh, first-team All AFL, and he was also the AFL interceptions leader in 1966. He would finish his career with 57 career INTs and also 741 interception return yards. So again, and I think. Um, I think what led to him maybe being elected so far late, and I've been hearing this uh, sort of uh, when I've been reading up about this guy some more, is maybe there was some AFL back, uh, some AFL backlash kind of sort of, or some type of uh, just overlooking a whole lot of AFL talent, which kind of sucks because again, the AFL would form part of what we see today as the NFL. So for this for this caliber player to be kind of I wouldn't say neglected, of course, but to go so long without a, a nomination or an induction into the Hall of Fame, I think it's kind of egregious, and I think it might be to it might uh, be some of uh, him playing in the AFL and just the AFL being so much of a uh, of a rival to the NFL at a crucial time. Uh, but again, I think it was undeserved, and I think he should have been in the NFL Hall of Fame a very long time ago. For those of you who may not know nothing about him or may not know a whole lot about him, I would suggest you do look him up he has some very good stats uh he was a very good player uh for some very good football teams on top of that so again he had ver a various a lot of success in his career on a team and personal level i think if you haven't uh taken the chance 
take a good look. Uh, take a good look at Johnny Robinson. Take a good look at his stats, and uh, I think you'll you'll uh, understand where I'm coming from. He's definitely one of the top safeties. One of the one of the top safeties that we've been overlooking. I would say uh, in a very long time. Uh, definitely look at his stuff. Look at his body of work, y'all. All right, everybody. I'm gonna call it a wrap for today. Uh, if you're looking to get in touch with me, of course, you can hit me up on the Gmail. That is at eljb75 at gmail.com. Once again, that is eljb75 at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook and, of course, the Instagram. You can reach me there at ljamaljani. That is spelled E-L-J-A-M-A-H-A-D-J-A-N-I. Once again, that is E-L-J. A-M-A-H-A-G-A-D-J-A-N-I L Jabon Johnny is the name you can also uh, look up the uh, Facebook actual Facebook page for the show at Never Out of Bounds once again that is Never Out of Bounds I also got some PayPal and some Cash App links if you would like to donate but uh Feel free to definitely interact with your boy. Talk to me. Share your ideas. Share your uh, thoughts or anything like that. Concerns. However, whenever. Uh, but for right now, I'm going to call it a break. And uh, for this week, of course, I will be back uh, with a word on the street. Uh, we have uh, some NFL previews to go over. So I'm going to be working on those as well. we got to go over college football as well. That season's coming up. We already got some preseason NFL action going on. So I'm going to try to get those conference and actually those divisional previews out for you guys immediately so uh work with me bear with me uh give me some time give a brother some time but we will be back with that a couple days from now uh and i also of course like i said with the word on the street we got to update you on what's going on with the trade talks with china i will be doing that as well so a lot of stuff to talk about of course this is this is the place though never out of bounds check me out look me up whatever you need to do show me some love show me some some support because i'm here i'm doing it and uh i'm living a dream baby and if anybody hasn't told you yet i love you and for all everybody out there don't matter where you're at peace out one love and i holler